Hi, everyone. I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Professor Rafael Carrazzo Salas, Chair in Biomedical Sciences at the University of Bristol. Professor Carrazzo Salas joined us for a webinar where he presented his lab's research using multi day, multi color, high content microscopy to visualize cell fate decisions in human induced pluripotent stem cells. Okay, let's jump right in. And so, Raphael, we're going to start with a question for you. Could you please just define what your definition of fate or cell fate is? Yes, uh, thank you, uh, Thomas, for this. Basically, I, I hope it was clear through some of the slides, is basically cell state is, 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 I guess, what I'm talking about here. So the in this case, the, the transcriptional makeup that makes the cell behave as an embryonic cell versus a neuron versus a muscle cell. Uh, that's, uh, that's what I mean, and that's what we're trying to monitor, how that cell fate is acquired or how transitions between cell fates and cell states happen in these cells in real time. Perfect. Uh Great answer. Next next question, all uh, directed towards the Yokogawa team. Can the imaging tool be used for stem cells seated on 3D matrices or scaffolds? Uh, in principle, yes. As long as the uh, scaffold of the matrices is sufficiently clear to image through, then there's no reason why it wouldn't be. The imaging depth of up to 600 micrometers in cleared tissue samples has been achieved with these systems. So it's uh, really, it's the transparency of the the matri matrigel that's that's or the matrix that you're using is the issue. Also, if there's any uh, autofluorescence concerns, but it's absolutely possible. Now, I don't know of anyone that's done it, but that might just be my own experience. Perfect. Thanks, Arvin. Raphael, interesting question for you. So you you mentioned that you decreased photo to to decrease phototoxicity. You lowered the frequency of sampling, but did you also need to decrease the laser power with increased exposure as well? Yeah, that's a great question. Yes, we did. These cells, I mean, I think the same applies to all cells if, you, if you're doing the kind of things we're doing so frequently for so many days, but particularly for these cells, we had to decrease the laser power. Uh, the, the, our instrument allows us to control well up to a minimum of 10% of whatever the nominal wattage output is of the laser. And we typically work at very low percentage of light precisely because otherwise the cells will, will fry. Absolutely. Excellent. Uh, thanks, Raphael. Another one for you. Ayiba says, thanks for a wonderful presentation. Have you tested different culture, media, and matrix, and would you expect that it would have an impact on cell division? Oh, this is from Ayiba. Hi, Ayiba. <laughs> so thanks for the question. So we have tested, yes, it's very for things that I didn't show today. We have tested different ECM uh, substrates, so fibronectin versus vitronectin versus, so we're using uh, gel tricks here, so matrigel, and different media as well. Uh, in fact, from stem cell uh, technologies, and they all work really well with the conditions that we established. So now the impact on cell divisions is interesting. We have seen these defects in uh, all those different conditions. And in fact, there have been some publications, I sort of alluded to them, I didn't explicitly talk about them, but they were written at the bottom of, of some of these slides on cell division. Some of the earliest studies, the only studies, in fact, that have talked about cell division issues in HPSCs from maybe 10 years ago or so, had already tried different matrix rigidity. And I think one of the studies was even in the Journal of Negative Results or something like this, which basically what it means is that they, they had, the defects that were found didn't change with substrate. So we find them in ESCs as well as IPSCs, and we find them in different substrates. And of course, we find them with and without exposure to light. Excellent. Uh, thanks, Raphael. Another question here. 
have you tried uh, changing cell densities or culture conditions to see how they would affect the appearance of the mitotic mutations? And also, did you see these mitotic mutations with different HPSC lines? Yes. So that's kind of building a little bit on the, on the previous one, but a slightly different angle. So yes, we changed the densities and culture conditions. They happen in, in small as well as large colonies. Although it, I didn't show it today, but collaborative work we've been doing with the group of Alexei Kodiakov in, in Wadsworth and uh, in New York shows that actually smaller colonies may display some defects a bit more than older colonies. But by far and large, really, they all uh, show these defects and they also early and late passage we've uh, tested. And that also doesn't affect basically the, the defects. And, and also, as I mentioned before, we've also seen these defects in iPSCs. And importantly, we've seen them without making the cell lines transgenic, meaning without the, the, the reporters being uh, knocked in. So what we're seeing here is the dynamics, which of course is inaccessible if we don't knock in these reporters for live readouts. Excellent. Great answer. This next question I'll direct towards the Yokogawa team. A different Raphael has asked, I assume the illumination is laser-based, but it may apply even if the light source is LED. Uh, is that is that right? Yeah, so this system is laser-based because this is a very, very large high-content system. It's actually really important to decide if you want to use a laser-based system, especially if you're looking for high-speed imaging. This also can affect, obviously, the live cell imaging factor of it. Raphael, if you have anything to add about using a laser-based versus an LED, you're more welcome to add in, especially for the live cell imaging portion. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I mean, I echo everything you said. I would just say that, of course, every system has its advantages and disadvantages here. The confocality and the, the laser uh, system allows us to well, have really cell-biological quality uh, images, but equally, many of the things we I, I showed you today could have been compatible with different light sources or indeed wide field versus versus confocal. I think the phototoxicity is going to be there more with the laser for sure than with LED uh, sources. So this this would be an improvement. But of course, the the beauty of the system is that it lends itself to multiplexing in the way that we use it. So you know, there's a, there's no perfect system, but this ticks all the boxes for us. If all you want to do is just one sample, probably an LED system would be slightly less toxic. I would say based on our experience. Excellent. Here's a good question from Kirsten, who's asked, have you considered using this technology and imaging capabilities for the use in clonogenic assays to test the efficacy of cytotoxic agents? And so, Raphael, I'll ask your input first, and then maybe I could pass it to the Yokogawa team to maybe provide any other insights they can have. Very brief answer for me. No, but would love to. Because what took us really long with, with our particular setup and, and the tools that we've been developing, it was precisely to develop the tools and the protocols for every step of the way, as I tried to exemplify it through the talk. Absolutely, absolutely. No, we haven't. If this is something that interests you, please uh, get in touch. It definitely would interest me. I don't think I'm personally aware of any assays in that case, but certainly the uh, CD8000 has been used for a number of assays due to its uh, multi-camera setup and high speed. It's possible to test the efficacy of any uh, reagent in, in such a high content system. So uh, I can't say that I know firsthand that it's been used for that, but it, it's certainly possible. Excellent. Thanks so much, both. Here's a another great question from Natalie who's asked, I always said, I love this talk. Thank you. And she has two questions. How do you deal with medium renewal and cell passage? And then a uh, different question, naive cell, uh, stem cell colonies often have a dome shape. Uh, so how do you deal with this aspect? Yeah, thank you, Natalie. Uh, great questions, uh, both of them. So as uh, to so the first one, it's how to deal with medium renewal and, and cell passage. Believe it or not, I didn't show it because there were a lot of little details. The devil's always in the details. So lots of little details we have to optimize 
And medium change was one of them because, as you may know, these cells, unless you use a slow release of uh, FGF2 media or like uh, Flex and so on, these relatively newer media, when we started establishing our assays, we basically had to change the medium of these cells every 24 hours. Uh, as I said, we then tried a flex from stem cell technologies or stem beads with slow release of FGF2. So that meant every 24 hours, we needed to change the medium, A, in a way that was compatible with not breaking our timeline because we want to track them automatically. Remember, we're trying to keep all the parts together in the process. So it's not just to keep the cells healthy, but not to lose them in the image from the tracking, quantitative tracking point of view, but also so that they don't look too different. That in fact, the first tries that we did just by regular exchange would take too long. And also the colonies would lose a lot of cells and would then become really compact afterwards. And this completely, completely uh, ruined the, the, the first few months of experiments, to be honest. So we have a very, very specific uh, protocol, which I'm happy to share for dispensation and aspiration, which is very, very quickly do it very slowly, essentially, that's the sort of it that allows us to maintain the colonies without getting rid of cells, without leading to too much contraction from the colonies, whilst being compatible with the five-minute time lapse. As you can imagine, the people in the lab, when they film these things, they pop out the plate and they run, 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 change the media, need to have everything ready, just so that they put it back and nothing happened. And that's why you don't see anything happening in these videos, largely. Yeah. Now, as to your second question very quickly, yeah, I know, we would be really interested in looking at naive stem cell colonies. And one of the reasons, as, as well as in general, even 3D, you know, organoids, many of these tools will lend themselves very, very well for spheroids, organoids. We started with HPSCs precisely because they were flat. In fact, the early differentiation routes that we're choosing are chosen among other things because they keep the cells flat, but basically because we wanted to fix some of the moving parts in what was otherwise a very complicated process. But this is definitely a direction where we want to go. Again, if this is something that interests you, this is a direction that really interests us. So happy to talk about it. Excellent. And I think it'd be good to end on a high note. So we'll make, uh, have made that the last question, but thanks so much, Raphael, for the really brilliant presentation. And thanks as well to Peyton and Arvin for joining us for the Q&A. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next time.